This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Good afternoon, stinky cheesy listeners. I'm Julie. Today we will be starting with a two-part series, Cheese in Asia. Um, before we before we talk about that, Camille is in the airport currently on her way to Berlin. Yes, this is true. So, so it's little... yeah, if you he- <laughs> listen to you know background noise, where are you exactly? Which cafe? I'm at the Newark <laughs> Airport. Cafe. It's a it's a pop up uh, United Lounge thing, but it feels like it's a noisy Fancy. cafe. Fancy. So okay. So Not really. That's just a disclaimer <laughs> about, you know, the extra noise more than usual today. Yeah. Um, but more yes, than... Cheese in Asia, our two-part series. Which I'm really excited about because um, Asia is absolutely ginormous. Um, so the two-part series doesn't really cover it, but we're going, we're, we're going to be focusing um, what, it, what, what does cheese mean in Asia? Because when you don't automatically think breeze and wash rinds that we're used to because cheeses are less known for their artisanal craft in a lot of um, Asian countries. And they're more used in traditional dishes. So we're going to dive into how that looks like, what that means, and how is it changing. And for today's podcast, we will venture to India. Of course, we will talk about the famous paneer and where it came from, but also other lesser-known Indian cheeses to us here in the States. In addition, there is a new wave of cheesemakers making a name for themselves in the country that traditionally doesn't eat bloomy rind cheeses. Um, these cheeses and these people now have a very growing, have a growing savvy clientele that's about to change all of it. Yeah, it's changing quite quickly. Um, very quickly. But before we get into all of that jazz, as you can probably hear in the background, someone's going somewhere. Um, <laughs> we're going to start first off, like, what is paneer and yes. how did it become the cheese of India? And so we have to kind of go back, as we always do in all our, all of our episodes, a little yeah. time traveling. Well, we go back to around 75, 300 AD, which is a big span of time. I know it's not like totally clear, but we have to look into the Kusana and the Satavahana empires that were very rampant in that time period. Um, you might be asking, who are the Kusanas? I asked that myself. Um, they were an empire that spread and encapsulated most of um, modern-day Afghanistan and present-day Pakistan and parts of northern India. I'll give you a little visual there. While the Saka Satavahana or more, they're more a dynasty, and they reigned for quite a long time, almost two centuries in India. And their territories were located down in central India. Um, and these are two empires that would created a version of what we think of paneer cheese today. So at a basic level, it's really just heated milk turned into a cur- like a curd formation. And we talk about this in almost, again, every single episode, because you don't really have cheese without a curd. So yeah. might be asking why and it's because it's easy to make. I mean, you literally could just do this in your bathtub, and it will, I think a lot of cheesemakers nowadays is kind of how they, they start in yeah, the bathtub. Yeah, exactly. It's not that easy. So paneer is definitely something that was in South Asia to debunk all the theories out there that paneer was created by the influence of the West. Yeah. There was, there was some debate whether it came with Europeans coming through, but it just, there was not much trade going on no. yet in that mm-hmm. time. So. Yeah. Punjab, which is the northeastern part of India, also very known for their dancing. If you ever meet any Punjabis, they're really into their dancing. Um, and it's 
that's where the present-day paneer was first introduced, um, and that's how it got into traditional dishes. But before we dive into that, um, the original, original influence really comes from Persia, Iran. Um, there's a, they have a form of, it's called paneer kaiki, and it's a style of cheese that would have been very common to make. And this, again, is due to heat and added acid, most likely a lemon. Um, and that was, lemons are known in Persia, so that wouldn't have been difficult. And then it's a soft curd. So, so originated from Persia, and then somehow was introduced to India by Afghan and Iranian travelers over time, which would make sense because the Kusana Empire was in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And um, there definitely was war and trade happening with neighboring countries, and, and Iran's not far from India. So it kind of makes sense how that influence and came through. So that's kind of a, paneer is an important part of Indian culture. Um, and Persians and Nepalese also use uh, paneer, but not in the way, like the famous matzo paneer or palak paneer. These are just delicious. Um, and even to the point that McDonald's has a different menu in India. So you have you have um, Max Spicy paneer and paneer lab. Um which is different. That sounds you know. delicious. <laughs> Really I would prefer that. I would prefer that here, right? but I guess we don't have an option. Yeah, the vegetarian right. option. Anyway, traditionally, <laughs> the milk used to make paneer is largely buffalo milk, um, but occasionally it will be made from made from cow's milk. The reason why it's mostly made with buffalo milk is because the milk has larger flat, fat globules and casein micelles, also higher concentrations of solid fat and casein that makes it hold up better when you cook the cheese that it's made into. The cow's milk has a softer, spongier texture when you make paneer out of it. Um, it is relatively open textured compared to buffalo milk paneer. Um, and if all of this is just gibberish to you, if you've never had paneer before, it looks like feta but thicker and denser. The Much flavor denser. is fresher and there's no salt added. So it's a very versatile tool to cook with. Um, yeah, it's it's spongy. And so it, it makes sense that it's a meat substitute, you know? I would say it's almost closer to curd, yeah. like pressed curd. Without the squeakiness, feta. yeah. Yeah, without the squeakiness. That's but the dense. I had one... Um, I had uh, actually in San Diego. No, no, not that. Yeah, I had that in San Diego. But I've also had paneer in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And um, from a neighbor who's, um, they're Southern Indians, and they're obsessed with this, like, one type of paneer, and it was really sour. So I'm assuming different regions have mm. probably different consistencies of how how tangy or how squishy it is. Yeah. But, um, that, I mean, but all that process, what the technical term that we use in cheese making is heat acid coagulation. Yep. Um, and that can differ in different ways, but mainly it's a heat and acid coming together. So surprise. That can be surprise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that is how cheese is made. Um, so it's splitting hot milk with lemon juice. Uh, and again, like I just said, because I was, I had a different paneer in one region, it's probably different in another region. Yep. So, of course, in India, India is ginormous, if anyone has seen it on a map. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, some people use fermented whey as a way because there's enzymes there helping break down. Um, sometimes we use split milk or yogurt or buttermilk. Uh, so there's, there's it, and these products create different flavors and rich notes. But kind of, I actually didn't know paneer can be made from buffalo milk. I didn't put the two in. I was like, yeah. how? But yeah. I it makes sense. It, it does make sense. Also, a side note, I love how for the past few weeks we've been talking about protected, regulated cheeses with very strict laws around the ingredients and the methods of cooking and aging. And, like, 
the example you brought up of your neighbor's very acidic paneer versus others that are very, very different. Um, we see paneers rather freeform. It's versatile, easy, and some say better made at home. So no matter what circumstance you are in, as long as you have milk, some sort of acid, and a heat source, you're in action. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. Everyone can just get too. Which probably means a lot of copying happens, though. Like, yeah. like if you make your own special paneer lime, yeah. how do you bark it on that? Because everyone's like, eh, whatever, I'm going to make my own thing. But yeah, I mean, it's very... That, um, that could be changing, too. Exactly. You know, it could be... Uh, I'm not sure what the acronyms would be, but I guess... I... I don't know. IOC? <laughs> no. IOC? Appalachian. <laughs> you don't know. IOC? Um, but anyway, so heat, heat acid coagulation is when cheese forms by an acid, which we already said, again, that's mixed with the milk, and it gets heated and then strained. And then that acid uh, could be any acid. It could be lemon juice, fermented whey, yogurt, bottom. Um, just to recap, but the, right. in milk, the micelles are negative and bounce off each other um, because because they're negatively charged. So very similar to mix. Mm-hmm. And if you add acid to the milk, you're neutralizing the negative charge in the casein micelles. So that instead of bouncing off of each other, they now stick to each other like Velcro. And an acid is a marginal, marginal, magical-ish tool. Acid does, acid does a lot of things in cheese making, um, and it, it, especially for older forms of cheese such as paneer. So in effect, by adding an acid solution to the milk, it really dissolves the calcium exterior of the casein uh, micelle, mm-hmm. and this results in the cheese having soft, softer texture. So unlike cottage cheese or goat chev, for example, um, if you can imagine, they're very, very soft. Uh, but they're made with rennet. Um, paneer doesn't have any rennet. So, yeah. And also, that would make sense because you're, you're dealing um, from the Hindu community, so they don't um, eat or buy products of cattle. So that would also imply some of these little traditions that get in place. But paneer, right, again, sorry, it's sidetracking. Mm-hmm. But paneer... <laughs> Pernier receives both acid and the heat calculation, which I said, acid affects the casein protein structure, while heat affects the whey protein structure. And the structure of whey protein has these sticky, pointy ends at the mm-hmm. end. Try, this is all under a microscope, obviously. Yeah. So think of those weird cellular images. Cellular shapes. Um, cellular shape images that don't make any sense. So they have sticky, pointy ends. And then when they, so with the heat, the structures become denatured. And they unravel, and this allows them to bond with other casein proteins. So the result is a coagulated whey casein protein, or what we like to call cheese. Cheese, yeah. yeah. So that that's kind of that's what the acid coagulation is on a more scientific level. Mm-hmm. But paneer would be in the same body. So we try like we enjoy categorizing cheeses in different types of either washed rind or blue rind or the protein structure. So paneer would be with cheeses like ricotta or mascarpone. These, um, Soft, yeah. almost like spreadable. Paneer is not that spreadable. Well, yeah. well, it kind of brings well, us fresh. to Chenna. Um, and oh, yeah. real quickly, when we were doing our research for paneer, we found a few sources that said that a synonym for paneer is Chenna. Um, and another, other few sources said otherwise. And basically, we found out that Chenna is different in its origins and texture from paneer. It is a different cheese altogether. It is not an, a synonym for paneer. And like we were talking about um, spreadability, chenna is more moist and open, so you can spread it on bread, I would imagine. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about the distant, like, its its origin story? <laughs> so because of 
China kind of was influenced by Europeans from the West um, because the Portuguese have a Quiejo fresco, which is what we would be familiar with Queso fresco, the same structure. And so when they came in trading into northern India, they brought in their version of Quiejo fresco. And that got turned into what, what is now called the Indian cottage cheese. Right. Okay, Chenna. And it's cool because reading about um, the recipes for Chenna and Paneer, you see very different uses for them. Chenna is seen more in desserts and sweet food because it is um, the texture that it is. You can make it into a delicious dessert called Rascula. Dumplings made of Chenna and semolina flour rolled into balls and then cooked in a sugar syrup. Which I've never had because I'm obsessed with... um, Alu jabi is just like uh, almost like that, dipped in syrup, but it has no cheese in it. And yeah. so I can imagine this is fantastic. Um, there's uh, there's a lot more chenna. Uh, there's chenna pada, there's chenna kiri, there's chenna jelly bee, which sounds fun to say. And then there's chenna gyo. So it just, these are not cheeses that eat on the side, they're part of everyday life that incorporate in a, in a dish and has a dish name and items mm-hmm. like that. So we got curious as to why um, why is cheese eaten this way, and came across the fact that uh, you have to go back and back back. But the, India has a pretty big dairy industry, which totally yeah. surprised us when we were doing our research. Um, I had no idea, and this is why we this is why we were taking cheese somewhere very far away from the Western centric world that we are used to in the cheese shop because that's what we carry. So, who knew that India has a I really a booming milk industry. It has the large. It is the largest milk producer in the world. In the world, in the 1960s, milk production in India was around 17 to 22 million tons a year, and that was in the 1960s. And then, in the 1970s, India's National Dairy Development Board created this Operation Flood program that helped dairy farmers produce higher quantities of milk to a growing market. So that by 2008, 15% of the world's milk production came from India. Now, okay, so following that, an article I read documented that milk production from 2016 to 2017 increased to 163.7 million tons. That's just so much I can't wrap my head around. Um, It makes sense why it's called Operation Flood. Right, from 17 million tons to 163.7 million tons. And it's also expected, yeah, it's increasing annually by 5.53%. And the surprising factor of that is that, what was it, 80%? I forgot we said specifically, but the majority of the milk is consumed in consumed in India. Very little is actually exported. So there's not much of a need to import either. So it's a pretty um, isolated, self-sustaining, yes, yeah, something isolated um, endeavor that seems to be working. Mm -hmm. Um, But considering that India was once predominantly an agrarian economy, I mean, that's obviously changed. But it's also a vegetarian population. Most of it's vegetarian. Um, Milk is important source of protein so for a vegetarian diet eating cheese you're going to see an increase of dairy-like products um, on the market so as of 2017 around 70 million small-scale dairy farms um, are currently <laughs> in, yeah, small, which is fascinating because it's like that must mean they're all sending the milk to a distributor who then distributes everything yes, else yes. Um, 
because to be a dairy farm in the States, you don't really make much money. And so this obviously, it seems to be, well, cost of living is also very different, but pretty sustainable. So majority of India's dairy production resides um, in pretty spread out regions, Punjab, Gujarat, uh, Maharashtra, Andhra, and Pradesh. So it's not as if it's just in one region. They're really using the whole country with 70 million dairy farmers creating tons and tons of milk. Yeah. And 50% of India's milk production comes from buffalo milk. Buffaloes can be slaughtered and sold, and their meat can be eaten while cattle cannot, as Camille was saying earlier. Um, about half of the milk is consumed as liquid, and the other is used to make ghee, curd, butter, paneer, chenna, ice cream, milk powders, other milk products. Um, about 5% of that milk is turned into paneer, which is a lot if you think of 163.7 million ton, metric tons. Yeah, and then just to look at the milk itself, um, it's a high level of fat. It has a good amount of protein. Um, it's because of the, the different breeds that are available in India, um, some the cows produce lower lactose levels, So, which I, I kind of found interesting. I'm not sure how to say that affects the cheese making, um, but that could also be in part that a lot of cheeses are not really being made for like a small craft in caves or being made to consume right away. So I think it's interesting that the quality of milk is very looked at very differently than um, how we perceive it in the U.S. and in, um, in Europe. But so where does that take us? That kind of takes us to why is there a cheese industry in India? And the answer is yes, there Absolutely. is. Uh, it's particularly small, but there's predominantly two main um, known creameries that started in the 70s, about the same time as uh, Operation Flood began. And the first one is Cody Dairy Products, established in 1972 by Cody Canal. I think it's Kodai. Kodai. Kodai? You're, you're probably right. Kodai. I'm thinking, yeah. I think I'm thinking of the camera. Kodak? Yeah. That's what I'm it's thinking Kodai. <laughs> Kodai, yeah. Um, so they, they started in the early 70s. Um, the founder spent some time in the Netherlands, so was exposed to Gouda's. Oh and then, yeah. yeah. And so it spent, uh, Kodai Dairy is kind of like tel- Telemach mm-hmm. for us, if that gives you kind of an image similar. And they, they try everything. Mm-hmm. They own Parmesan, they own blue cheese, they own camembert, mozzarella. The website isn't very clear as to like, what they mean by blue, um, as we've I've learned blue can mean many things. Yeah. So, but they're predominantly selling cheddar and Gouda cheeses. That's very, mm-hmm. very popular. Mm-hmm. And they also have a son, um, Hari, who studied cheesemaking in Australia. So he's taking over the retail sales across the country and they're getting bigger. You know, they're a, a big uh, milk dairy corporation, uh, cheese corporation in, in India. Um, another one is ABC Farms. Um, it's another early creamery that started in 1976. And what is ABC? It is not ABC Kitchen, but it is the acronyms for Aga, Bathana, and Chinoy, the surnames of the original founders of the company. It is a 27-acre farm in Dehu Road, India, near Pune, southeast of Mumbai. And they have Holstein and Wise Cows, as well as San and Goats, um, and now have a growing popularity for um, organic the organic movement is growing now. So I really like this because they have their own animals that they have that produce the milk for them. And it's very, um, again, as we're talking about self-sustaining, um, mm-hmm. 
isolated within the one company. They make cheese there too. And so what's unique about them is that they're into using microbial plant rennet to fit an Indian diet since many Indians cannot consume cow products. Um, so rent, like animal rennet is a no-no. Um, the type of cheeses that they make are mainly Gouda as we've seen sort of in the bigger cheese making companies in India. They like making Goudas smoked, which is very popular there. Edam, cheddar, Colby, marble, and their very own raclette, which is super cool. I like that. Yeah. I wonder if you have to put like a chutney along the raclette, which would be really good, actually. I would love to just them. put, yeah, on a crusty yeah. baguette and yeah, then scrape good. the raclette off and the chutney. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I could put on a dosa. <laughs> I want to do that I mean, right now. It's the whole, it's the whole opportunity there. Yeah. Cooking with cheese do. is so, amazing. So I can move you back to Singapore if you just move. You should move yeah. to Mumbai and start your own red clet dosa <laughs> business. Hey, I think you would do amazing. Um, but there hasn't been much competition, which makes sense that these two, Hoday and Dairy and ABC Farms, have like kind of been producing as much as they want because these are these are cheeses that are easy to eat. I mean, they're delicious. I'm getting wrong, but they're easy to eat. Um, Cheddar and Buddhas are predominantly also not difficult to make. Mm -hmm. You don't have to care. For, I mean, you still have to care for them, obviously, but not to the extent. And they're being, they're being eaten right away. And yeah. that makes, again, sense to the diet styles. Yeah. So what's cool and what we like, and that's what we're into, is finding alternative things. Yeah. And that that means there there is an alternative small, small-scale cheese um, making group of people that are coming through and they're, they're kind of starting out either in the countryside or in cities but we decided to spend the rest of our time focusing on um the Meraha brothers the which brothers. julie's yeah. brothers, which julie's gonna get us started on right so um from what we talked about so far um Paneer and chenna are used for cooking rather than eating on their own, and so one that's one difference between cheese in India and cheese in uh, Europe, or in it produced in the West. Um, people in the West like eating cheese with, you know, on their own with crackers or whatever, and paneer and chenna is cooked more. And so, um, Spotted Cow, this one cheese shop in Mumbai, makes cheeses that are very Western influenced um, and the soft ones. Like not like cheddar or gouda, but they make like their own soft French cheeses. We'll get into that later. Um, yeah. They're kind of. Uh, I always try, try to compare because it obviously helps. But Andante um, Creamery, yes. I would say they're, yes. they're kind of their own Andante Creamery with a cool name, spotted cow fromagerie. But even in that sense, is kind of pointing that it's dairy and it's fromagerie in the sense of French style. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're very influenced from pulling that. But they are um, they are a small creamery uh, founded by two brothers, um, uh, Pekardish and Agni Pradeesh. Sorry, my You're my good. Hindi pronunciation is atrocious, so I apologize for who's listening. Um, Pradeesh. And they are located in the heart of Mumbai, so they're they're running this thing in an extremely busy, busy, busy city. And they receive a truckload of milk, um, more like probably a van, but of, of milk every single day that accounts to about 100 kilos per month of cheese, which to the U.S. ears, converted to be about 220 pounds of cheese made out of their shop. And they um, only started a couple of years ago, so this is a pretty large number for such a small scale. They're, they're 
it's going at. Also, this is totally um, beside information, but at the moment, the retail for cheese sales is about 80% coming out of supermarkets. So they're trying to compete in that market, but mm-hmm. the competition isn't so, so strong because there isn't anything like that available in supermarkets. Um, for what they're doing, mm-hmm. so and, and so what are they thing? doing? They're they're making camembert and brie style cheeses, something that's less so common with cheeses. Right, it's it's less common, and with with the help of the Mara brothers, they're opening this new frontier of fine made cheeses on a local scale. What do they call their cheeses, Camille? I think they're fantastic. Camembert, Bon Brie, um, Ribiola Rombe. These are cheeses that we're familiar with. I love um, that. <laughs> It's kind of a ton of fun. And, and what's fascinating and also just fantastic is that they are using local milk. Um, and it's completely... In local air, again. in local everything. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, um, they actually have... Okay, let's talk about their background story. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. They, they got their start making cheese by reading and researching methods on the internet. And that's something I find really hard to wrap my head around because you're dealing with a food product that is so affected by temperature, time, humidity, and if you don't have an expert by your side, it's a lot of trial and error, which is what Pradeesh said it was. Um, And so I feel like they're really determined and passionate in their craft. Um, And even I was reading a little bit about their background, and Pradeesh, the older brother, was -hmm. actually playing around with micro-brewing his own beer before that, and he was pairing that with different cheeses, and then it kind of dawned on him that maybe he should try his hand at cheese making itself. So the rest is history, and he obviously has an interest in you know doing DIY like everything, which I yeah. really relate to. I love that. Um, no, I'm just I'm just kind of laughing. I'm just imagining. I I know it's not a bathtub, but for some reason I had this image of like everyone <laughs> making cheese in a bathtub. So stirring with a <laughs> giant like paddle. I, because I've done this, maybe I should like put that into my. I have done cheese in the bathtub. Um, how do you make that? Steri- to, how do you sterilize that? Maybe you have to do some draining, so it's a good place to like drain like, stuff and let it go. We were trying to make a, a hard pressed cheese in one place that was at, and it was just the easiest place to leave it draining <laughs> there. It was on top of stuff, but right. so I'm just imagining. I'm imagining them like making beer on like one side of the bathroom and the other side is cheese making. <laughs> like a little table it's like fine dining um so <laughs> so we're used to the french and italian style cheeses um but what's fun is that this is an entirely different climate um than france or switzerland and, and that's known i mean these are countries that are known for the ancient caves and so forth well with the wave of modern technology um providing cheese making is possible anywhere now. I mean, really, you can do it anywhere. And so these, these barriers are being broken down. And so that's why you're seeing a, a, a new wave of cheesemakers that can happen absolutely in the hottest places in the world. It doesn't really matter because you have the technology to do so. But what um, the brothers were telling us was that the, one of their most challenging uh, issue it wasn't so much about even getting customers customers are totally on board they love what they're doing but it's getting good quality milk yep. um, and having it transported to them in a state that's best needed for the types of cheeses that they're making yeah and um, beyond that challenge they're doing um, they're actually doing exceptionally well um, when we asked Pradeesh about their clientele's palates he said that they tend to steer clear of stronger cheeses and are more used to store-bought processed cheeses but um he really does feel that all that is slowly changing. The 
that people are becoming more conscious of what they eat and how it benefits them nutritionally, especially as a result of having more and more food expos popping up where new is, produce, yeah, and new products. how they started, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, all of this stuff is being introduced to the public, and that's how the Mayer Brothers got their start. They showed their um, camembert, or was it brie, a soft bloomy rind cheese at a food expo, and people went nuts for it and wanted them to keep making it. So... Um, so they're supplying to about 30 restaurants. Yep. Uh, so, so they have a wholesale account as well as a retail account. And they're just, every year they're growing and, and making new cheeses. Right now they're focusing just on soft ripened cheeses because mm-hmm. of the facility and space but and the difficulty of getting the milk that they need. So there's a lot of still trial and um, error going on. But it, it, some of the cool stuff that they're experimenting with is... Um, uh, soft soft cheeses yeah. that are, have various coatings, the sweet and savory. So, so you can do from caramelized hazelnut to eau de Provence or satar, roasted garlic with herbs. And I, I'm curious of how, like, where else I'll go with that. Yeah. Um, and actually, of, they have a, a new line in 2018 of truffle cheeses. They have a black truffle brie with, I believe, a line of truffle through the middle and a fresh truffle cheese which i think is where they're taking it you know they're like experimenting with these flavors that are very strong and um to a clientele that's not known for eating stinky cheeses you know and Mm -hmm. maybe expanding the palate of um, their customers which is i think very cool yeah i would love to i actually really would like to try some cheeses because it's, it's different breeds they're different breeds they're using different right they're the regional um cows coming from specifically from india so the most likely the it's going to taste different the breed there is going to taste different um, terroir is very true but you know maybe one day we'll bring it into southern california we'll be hosting indian cheeses um you never know you'll never know but it was very very intriguing to me um through this process to learn how large the dairy industry is in India. I had no um, idea. None of, yeah. I mean, and why, why would we? Just, we don't focus so much in that particular region for cheese um, and cheese distribution. So it was really cool to hear those numbers and see, see the growing industry um, and the outcomes of a growing industry as you get places like the Spotted Cow from Marjorie and others popping in. We just didn't have time, but there are other small creameries forming uh, and getting recognition. Yeah. And it's anyway. only, I guess it's the cheese, um, the cheese industry is kind of booming and up and coming, but it's the dairy industry has been around for many years and it's, you know, one of the mm-hmm. biggest in the world. Anyway, um, <laughs> we need to wrap it up soon. And so um, we just wanted to thank Pradeksha Nagne. No? Yes, thank you, British Nagney, because they were awesome responding to our random questions. Yeah, of, they took the time to, to like talk to us, engage in our questions. So, really, really thankful to them at the Spotted Cow for Marjorie. Check it out; they have a really cool website. We'll link yep. it in the description. As always, if we've missed anything or need us for a topic further, let us know. You can email your comments, questions, thoughts um, to info.venisimo.com and we will address them on the next segment. And here from the Specialty Produce Network in San Diego, we wish you a happy Tuesday and please, for your own sake, eat more cheese. 
Hello, cheese lovers. Cheese Whiz Gina here, and I invite you to subscribe to our Noon on Tuesday podcast to hear all about cheese all the time. You can listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or subscribe via FeedBurner under Noon on Tuesday. You can also watch us live every week on Facebook at Venissimo Cheese at, you guessed it, noon every Tuesday Pacific time. We're fun, we're cheesy, so tune in and tell your friends to tune in too. Ciao. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.